0: You're listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer.
1: For someone to explain.
0: Bringing you up to date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better.
2: All right, welcome to episode number 33 of the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Nathan Parnham. Nathan is a Sydney-based strength and conditioning coach whose goal is to inspire others to achieve their personal best. Uh, He's the director of strength and conditioning at Newington College in Sydney, which is a member of the GPS, and oversees the senior rugby program there with all their strength needs, uh, among other roles with the school. Uh, he wants to positively impact his athletes' lives every day that he goes into work, and it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Nathan, so welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, Andy. I appreciate your time and uh, yeah, and listening to what I've got to say.
2: Yeah, no worries. Great to have you on, and um, we were just talking off-air there. You've been doing a, doing the podcast circuit. You did Historic Perform with James Darley, and then you you hit the big leagues with uh, Iron Game Chalk Talk uh, with Ron McEfree, so you must be a, a pro at this now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm a pro but uh yeah you know I'm just fortunate that I have guys like you who feel that I've got an opinion that's valued so um yeah mate I appreciate your time in in reaching out to me and you know you've had a lot of you know big coaches and things like that on the podcast and the things that you're doing for rugby I think is great um and to you know throw it out to the development or grassroots level I think is even better so more than happy to share what I can and contribute and hopefully coaches will be able to relate in the process yeah thanks well thanks
2: for that and yeah I've got no doubt they do so uh they will so just a bit of backstory how how'd you get into your role kind of you know growing up sports played. Kind of what, what was your education pathway to get into this and a bit of the work uh, experience that led to your current role at Newington
1: yeah sure so I started out like most of the you know S&C guys going around you know we all played sport at a decent level when we were younger and I was from a a big tennis family. Yeah. Played competitive tennis when I was through the juniors and uh, ended up ended up getting a little bit of an injury and then basically just kind of you know led the life of a teenager really and then um, from that ended up uh, training in Muay Thai. So uh, I've mentioned before that you know I had a brother. He's got a pretty successful Muay Thai gym at the moment as well where I'm fortunate enough to work with a few fighters. Sweet. And yeah, from there, man, uh, that sort of fueled the passion and. Uh, following on from that I did my undergraduate degree and gra- uh, graduated from that in 2003 uh, and then I did a Diploma in Education 2004 which has left me in good stead for being in positions like this uh, yeah. and then took it a little bit further and did uh, my Master's in Strength and Conditioning through Edith Cowan University and graduated from that in 2010 so uh, it's been a bit of a long journey and uh, you know like a lot of other S&C coaches, I, I worked as a personal trainer on the way through and uh, you know put my hand up and did a lot of voluntary sweat hours in various clubs and things like that um, across a variety of different sports as well. so uh, one thing that I made sure that you know everyone wants to work in team sports and the reality of it is those, those sports are pretty limited as far as the capacity to get employment. so I, I certainly threw myself around there in a variety of different sports and uh, you know individual sports as well like tennis so, uh, you know, I did variety a variety of roles in that capacity, and then uh, one thing led to another, and then eventually I secured a full time role at Westfield Sports High, and they looked at my diploma in education favourably, that I understood the education system and how everything works, yeah. and uh, so that's where that took off, and I was very fortunate that I kind of had a, a blank canvas to paint what I, I wanted and where I saw it fit at Westfield Sports High, and worked with many talented coaches there, and. Uh, from that, I was able to kind of experiment and, and see a good model of what I thought worked and it really opened my eyes to, uh, you know, the different coaching philosophies across different sports because I was working with sports like netball, basketball, rugby league, football there and uh, yeah, that that really kind of showed me that culturally different sports are aligned and have different philosophies in S&C. So um, yeah, so that's led me to where I am now basically and I'm at Newington College as you pointed out and uh, the you know the sports there's a variety of different sports here as well which are a little bit more different to where I was at before so uh, personally myself I'm I'm responsible for a team of uh, five casual S&C coaches and yeah. uh, I'm very fortunate that they're you know really talented coaches and we're in a position now whereby I'm not the one who's controlling everything I, I oversee it and I lead these guys into you know trying to let their careers prosper in that way and apply their trade so as far as my actual direct contact with specific sports at the moment, um, I, you know, I, I look after the rugby side of things and I'm also looking after tennis at, at present um, and the other guys are looking after the other sports.
2: Yeah, so, you're, so your day-to-day routine is uh, a lot of facilitation with your strength coaches, but um, you know, probably some, some backroom planning as well, but then you, you get in rugby season and tennis season get to work hands-on with the, with the athletes as well
1: yeah that's right. so uh when I first came on board uh, in all fairness to the other guys, they were responsible for rolling out every program that I created and then right. uh, I think I think anyone who is you know gets appointed in a particular role likes things done a particular way, mm-hmm. and for me, I wanted to make sure that we're all on the same page, and that came with recruiting of staff as well. so uh you know, kudos to them because basically, for the first year of being here, those guys rolled out every program that I created and, uh, you know, progressed or regressed it accordingly and used their skill set to do so. Um, but they were the ones who actually, you know, just rolled it out as it was planned. And then as time's evolved, uh, they've taken on more responsibility. And, you know, the guys have looked after, so there's a the head of basketball and things like that. And uh, so that's how I've done it. And it's been more about just making sure that everyone was on the same page with our, our coaching method. And philosophy and it's just strengthened my, you know, strength and conditioning department because of it. Oh, great. Okay. So, um, yeah, listening to um,
2: your interview on Historic Perform podcast and any listeners out there should should track that down because it's a great podcast and uh, some really good nuggets in there. Um, you you talked a lot about um, how Newington's you know, strength and conditioning programs from, you know, grade 7 up to grade 12 fits fits quite nicely with the LTAD and um, how that you you'll progressively develop an athlete uh, following that 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 model. Um, can you can you talk a little bit about that? Like for example, if you know if a, a grade seven kid, you know twelve years old, what what's the kind of pathway he he'd go through until he gets to grade twelve and is an eighteen year old ready to ready to graduate high school and, and move forward?
1: Yeah, sure. So. I think first and foremost, most of the people who are aware of in development programs and so forth, I think there's a a difference between the scientific literature and uh, different models that have come through, which certainly have their merit. And, you know, I I definitely take dribs and drabs from from all of them. Uh, The challenge with it is, I think that, you know, as as a strength and conditioning practitioner, you have to see where that fits in your environment. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, you may not necessarily follow, you know, the LTAD model specifically um, and it's up to you how you implement that and how it fits into your your environment. So I'll give you an example of that: is uh, You're right, so from year 7 we get guys into the gym as early as possible and um, they're still essentially, if you follow the LT, traditional LTAD model, uh, they're in that learning to train stage Yep. Uh, and all this is about is really trying to get the guys familiar with the the basic fundamentals of training so these are things that often experienced coaches overlook when they come into a development program because you know let's face it a 12 year old detention span is is very limited, limited. so um <laughs> when they're in a gym yeah it's you know they're often having a conversation and next thing they're over the other side of the gym and it's just trying to develop and instill those values of you guys actually you know spotting your partner being there for him, giving him feedback and things like that uh, and while these are, might appear simple and things that you know most people in a, an elite thing don't really focus on um, it's something that certainly gets overlooked so we just work on course ability stuff uh, just trying to get lay the foundations with their fundamental movement patterns in u seven mm-hmm. um, and then from that uh, we're really big on trying to you know develop that a uh, holistic approach with the athlete uh, and when I say athlete, that can be the, the general students and the, the overall uh, general population students within the school as well. So focusing on things like, you know, muscular imbalances, range of movement, hip stability, and all those sort of things. So mm. that's at the very basic level, everything stems from that. So then the guys who are in year eight, uh, they'd be, you know, 13, 14 yep. years of age. Um, then they go through into more the fundamental movement patterns, but with a little bit more load. So, uh, and we introduce them you know, one by one. We try and feed through um, the different pieces of equipment that are in the gym because at the end of the day, uh, I don't want a student just laying on the ground doing everything the whole time because they're not going to come back. Mm. So in order for us to get the buy-in from those guys, we have to you know, get them on the medicine balls. We have to get them on the Swiss balls and things like that. And if we continue to challenge them that way, but provided that we keep the, the programming or the simplicity of the programming with our goal and objective of trying to train those fundamental movement skills, and it's a win-win for both parties. So um, that's how that works into year eight. The year nine guys who are getting around that 15 years of age, uh, hopefully they've kind of progressed, and that you know they're in that position where they can hold their own body weight and so forth, whether that be unilaterally, bilaterally, across a variety of different planes. And then from there, that's where we start to get into the the crux of a little bit more of the funkier exercises that most teenage boys want to do. Mm. Um, and then that that kind of appeases them and gets that buy-in in that way. And, um, and then once they're confident with that, then it's a matter of us being able to uh, actually get them in a safe environment and educate them accordingly that it's not all about you know stacking up the bench press and doing as much as you can. There's other things in there like tempo, repetitions, recovery or interset recoveries and things like that where they're still, they're, they've progressed into that training to train uh, stage and yeah. these things are still being emphasised. Um, and then from there, it goes into the year 10. So year 10, to give you an example, is you know, 15, 16-year-old students and um, you know, they've got a little bit more lean muscle mass by that stage. And um, whilst they're still developing and, and there's certain things like their shoulders and spine and things like that that need to be uh, taken into consideration, this is where we get them into a little bit more of the progressive movement um, stages, so I call it a critical window period where we'll we'll commit a whole term to. Uh, so the terms are there's four schooling terms and they're split up into two meso, two four week mesocycles. Yeah. Um, and what will happen in those is that in term one there'll be two mesocycles that are more tailored towards the hypertrophy based or the tissue development side of things. Yeah. Uh, and then we go into term two, which is more strength development. So they they will start at the higher repetition range and then. Progress to lower repetition range, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then from that we go into uh, term three. is a a really important term because that's where we teach them the Olympic lifting progressions. And uh, you know, we don't get too funky with that during the initial stages because it's up to make us up to us to make sure that they have the necessary movement patterns, like correct hip hinging and all the rest of it, um, prior to excelling uh, uh, prior to advancing those exercises, so that um, they they have that framework there. Uh, And then when they're in year 11 and 12, we build on that. We don't have to waste time with a simple thing. So term four kind of starts off over again because uh, in term four, they roll into the summer programs and depending on where they're at, um, it's kind of still about building those physical capacities going into the senior age groups. The Senior age groups, what I refer to is year 11 and 12. So you're dealing with guys who are 16 turning 17 uh, and then even 18 years of age in year 12. Um, And then from there, uh, the exercises just get more advanced and with a little bit more load. So uh, that's to kind of summarize the the, the overall program of it. Um, we're now in a position where we're reviewing our programs and, um, you know, we traditionally went down that model where if it was a, say, for example, a hypertrophy-based session that they, you know, focus heavily on, you know, multiple lifts for the same muscle group, et cetera. And uh, we've realized that uh, that wasn't as successful as it probably could be, mm-hmm. could have been. So, what we've done now is um, we definitely do full body uh, workouts but the other thing that we're trying to do is develop the overall athletic qualities for all the students not just the, el- the not the elite sports people at the college but uh, those who are you know aspiring athletes to pursue sport as a career outside of it. Uh, what we're doing now is trying to develop more their uh, like their physical literacy of things like uh, catching passing the coordination side of things while they're in various body or holding various body positions Mm. uh things like dynamic balance or dynamic stability um to do with proprioceptive stuff as well so these are all things that are included in it and we've also included uh, an element of uh energy system development stuff at the back end of it because the reality of it is a lot of the guys in the gym the programs are designed to kind of be about a forty-minute program, yep. um, and the boys would hang around in here for an hour if they could. Mm. Uh, so what we've tried to do is just with with a spacing, you know, it, it's a way that you need to be conscious of that and how many students are in the gym. So we don't want guys hanging around for seventy-five minutes, ninety minutes, doing a gym session. So we get them in there, we get them in, get them done with a say a forty-minute strength-based workout with all those movement qualities I mentioned previously, and then they finish with a bit of energy system development stuff to finish them off so uh that's the the overall side of it and uh yeah so that's where we're sitting at the moment
2: sweet so you pretty much go from like stage three through to the beginnings of stage five right training to compete with those older kids
1: uh so yeah it's so the the stages that we miss out on uh is uh so depending like i think it's even up to you know eight stages now but yeah else, exactly the, yeah the six stage model i know oh, it's advanced okay. a lot yep. now but the one that we miss out on um, so the fundamentals, which is, you know, let's just say, for example, 10 years of age, mm-hmm. uh, those are the guys who would be in our, the live in campus, which is the junior school. Right, so yeah. we miss out on that, but we try and phase that into uh, they enter in the gym basically in, in the learning to train. So yeah. from year seven through to um, year eight, they're still in the learning to train phase. Yep. Uh, then they go into the training to train phase uh, all the way into year 10. And then in year 11 and 12, the senior teams, that's where they're in the training, training to compete, compete which, is, yeah. which means, yeah, that their, uh, their actual gym-based sessions and their energy system development stuff uh, in the representative teams is periodized according to their competition schedule. Yeah. So none of the other stuff is specialized. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that, you know, a lot of people talk about that. And it, it's something that I'm quite passionate about as well in the fact that uh, specialization is a big thing. And I think that it's up to... Uh, you know the directors of the sport here, for example, to really hone uh, each student's talent and not pigeonhole them into certain playing positions and all the rest of it, uh, and support them across a variety of different sport or that multi-sport approach that you hear mm. people refer to. And then when they get into year eleven and twelve, that's when they're in the training to compete stage. Uh, so hopefully, when they graduate from here, um, not only the general students making healthier, you know, life lifestyle choices and lifelong choices as well um but the guys who are as aspiring to pursue sport as a career then we've put them in better stead so that they've got the foundations there and then when we hand them over to different academies that might be under 20s and things like that um then you know th- their movement competency is fully literate they've got limited uh imbalances and it's just about trying to build that framework whether it be their engine their cardiovascular system or it be their um you know their lifting capacity. So, um, that's where we we see it anyway. Yeah,
2: well, that's great. And hearing that uh, that non-specialized approach is quite refreshing. Living in North America, uh, you know, it's 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 brutal with hockey. Uh, you're hearing like kids 10, 12 years old uh, being referred to as elite hockey players, um, playing hockey 10, 10 months of the year. It's uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, so you know, it's it's refreshing to hear that that other side of the story.
1: Yeah, and I, think, and I think it's forever a challenge because uh, a lot of people, most coaches who have been around and particularly in development programs know that uh, everyone's of a similar philosophy that a multi-sport approach is, is great. You know, like as an example, mm. soccer or football is great for tennis because it's footwork and all the rest of it. So it's still coordination, it's still kinesthetic awareness um, and, and it's supportive of it. Um, but then again, you also have those conversations with coaches who, who you say to them, right? So we're going to support this student, um, and you know, in that multi-sport thing. And then they'll nod their head and say, Yeah, yeah, we're, we're multi-sport supportive, but they've got to be doing this. And it's like, Well, <laughs> you've just nodded your head when I've said it, and now you're telling me that it's got to be specialised. Yeah. So, um, but mate, that's an ongoing battle, and I think yeah. it's something that a lot of development coaches can relate to, uh, not only S and C coaches, but Guys who are trying to, you know, fight the good fight and um and just try and build a better a, a better individual. Yeah, great.
2: Okay, well, um, moving forward, like moving on to like the the senior team at Newington that you oversee. Um, you you emailed me a great video that you guys put together of what you're doing in the in the weight room with them, and uh, it's it's as professional as a setup you can imagine for a high school. It's great, and I'll, I'll put that up on my website so so people can check it out. Um. But with that senior team, what, what, what's the preseason and in-season week look like for, for, for those athletes?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, what happens in that scenario is the biggest challenge that we have is the transition between summer and winter sport. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Uh, and then this happens every year is uh, the rowing guys are fantastic at building a really great engine. Um, and then the challenge that is when they transition into the rugby side of things, uh, with the change of direction and acceleration deceleration and all those sort of things they might appear really really simple and I know sometimes a student might get frustrated in it that they feel that you know they can be I don't like using the term flogged but mm. um, you know that their engine uh, enables them to do that but unfortunately their peripheral uh, you know structures don't So, it's up to us to take ownership of that. So, what I generally do to give you a bit of an overview um, from January for us, for um, you know, uh, January to March is a bit of a, I don't want to say a pre season, but um, that's where we do general prep stuff. So, most of the boys are encouraged to come into the gym. uh, And we're just looking at, you know, more of the hypertrophy based stuff, looking at their mobility because we have a a lot of big glads here um, who it's really important for us that um we're not about trying to just get the biggest boys that we can to fill the rugby field the big guys need to be able to move and they need to be competent in that and get themselves in certain positions which is what you see in that video that you're talking about Mm. um it's very movement oriented yeah for sure Uh, so and and that's what we try and instill so we try and do that stuff early so that they're fully competent unilaterally bilaterally um in their you know acceleration deceleration those sort of things um, and that's another thing as well that we do is we, we focus on the deceleration side of things early uh, and the change of direction things so that they can absorb the force and everything like that. Um, and their groins or hamstrings and knees aren't going um, because of the fact that they haven't been or pre-exposed to that sort of, those sort of movements. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll generally involve two to three gym sessions a week um we don't do any back squatting as much as you know this is a continual thing as well uh during the early stages we don't so for example in that uh first term they don't do any back squatting yeah uh it's more about trying to get the guys in front squatting positions and trying to overload them uh in different squatting positions whereby we're not continually just doing actual loading all year round as much as the boys love their squatting and things Mm. it's more up to us as our, you know, for being professionals and using our coaching eye to challenge them in a variety of different movement planes with a variety of different pieces of equipment from kettlebells to bands and cables and things like that so that as we get a little bit closer to the season when they progress into their strength-based stuff, then that's where we start loading them up a little bit yeah. more as well. So um, the, that's the pre-season side of it.
2: When, when you talk about no squatting the, or you don't squat early, the the rowers if you're using that as an example, they'd be pretty dominant in their anterior chain, right? So they'd they'd probably need more posterior work sorry their posterior chain would be dominant they need more anterior chain
1: work right yeah that's right yeah yeah so um but the challenge for that is that you know say that the the rowing guys themselves culturally have have you know it's a different sport and they culturally have their beliefs about you know strength and what strength Mm, is and where they see it so uh you know as an example our guys are doing things on the leg press and stuff like that in the with the uh rowing center so um, you know whilst we might sit here and say oh well they should be squatting this squatting that and if they're in season for rowing and you know from an external party if you're a coach looking in you'd be kind of looking at it going well what do you mean you don't back squat you're already talking about guys being in season for rowing surely they're back squatting in season for rowing but the reality is, reality of it is from our perspective is they're not, and that's a rowing guys' decision to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in which case, is fine. And like I said, that's culturally their sport. So, yeah. um, what we do with, with those guys is how we look at um, because they, you know, come, they enter in a far better position than, say, for example, someone. Uh, there's no one who plays tennis and rugby in the first 15 anyway. But if they did, then you know that would be a completely different specimen as well. Mm. So it's how we utilise our knowledge in. in the individual students and how we're going to go from that so another challenging thing for us is we have a 16s development uh, lifting group which takes place when they're in year 10 so the guys who are in the 16 A's and B's rugby team uh, that they, they do one session a week uh, okay. and all that is or just working on uh, there's that's not lifting heavy at all mm-hmm. uh, that's going through the movement teaching them different postures uh, teaching them Olympic lifting variations and so forth so that when they come in, because previously what happened was you'd have students who come in from year 10, they've never done a back squat before, if they've never been encouraged to come into the gym. And then all of a sudden you've got guys in year 12 who think that they're going to be lifting the house down. And, you know, that's a dangerous position to be in because mm. in order to get buy in from the younger guys, you know, they lose face if we say, well, you can't squat because of this. And then they want to be part of the big time as well. So uh, it's up to us to try and be as creative as we can with our programming to try and get the buy in from the early yeah uh, and also just produce a a better rounded athlete so yeah
2: yeah cool and in season so so how's in season look when they're when they're actually in in gps and then competing
1: yeah so in season is from april through to september so the pre-season or what i mentioned earlier on they'll be lifting anywhere from two to three times a week and in season they're only lifting two sessions a week and in some weeks it's a you know, depending on how they're feeling, it might only be one session a week. So uh, how it differs is that uh, what we do in season, uh, we focus at, in general, it's a lot more strength and power based. Yep. Uh, and that's where we try and focus on the, you know, progressing the plyometric side of things as well. Uh, how we generally do it is we split them up. Uh, I'll go into a typical session a little bit later, but that's that's how that works as far as um, uh, with the in-season side of it. Earlier on in in season, we also do a little bit spend a bit more time uh, with the energy system development stuff, so the conditioning side of it as well. So the challenge with working in a schoolboy environment is uh, you've got to actually be conscious of a variety of different things going on in the school at the one time. And uh, full credit to our rugby director because he you know he's learned along the way as well as much as I have too. In that uh, we need to create a program of best. Rather than a, a, what I call a best program, because it's very easy to sit back if your passion is rugby and you were the director of rugby and say, okay, we need to target X, Y, and Z qualities. But then we've both learned along the way that sometimes the most successful programs that we've created have been more uh, that we've just prioritized and created. You know a program of best fit for the environment, and mm. that's that's how we get the outcomes that we have so did you want me to go into a, a typical session of how it kind of runs?
2: Yeah, yeah, let's do that and like you talked about um you know how you group the players in the gym and and some of the benefits you get out of that as well that'd be great
1: okay so um, just as a sample you know gym based session so uh, what we do is we do so when they come to the gym they have to be there at a specific time and we uh, try and set the standards early because I know a lot of coaches and things like that might say, oh, well, you know, there's no championship that's won in the gym. But the reality is culture is established in the gym and it's up to us to establish that early. Um, And that follows suit throughout the whole program. So what we do is we break them into three groups for their first warm-up, which is 10 minutes. And in those three groups, we try and uh, establish a leader. So what it is, is the groups will be a mobility group. There'll be an activation type group. Uh, and there'll be a gymnastic progression type group. Um, and they've got a certain number of exercises to get through. It's just done on a timing system where they go for 40 seconds, they get 20 seconds to change, and then uh, they go through a couple of exercises and then rotate around. So uh, in, in that 10-minute period, they're already targeting so mobility, activation, uh, and gymnastics progressions. The gymnastics pro- progressions were introduced this year because there's a lot of boys who uh, we just thought couldn't move and they moved really poorly. So... Uh, Things like forward rolls, side rolls, and getting them into different positions. uh, That's included in the warm up. um, And we found that dynamic nature of it has has certainly helped us out. So that goes for 10 minutes, that's done. Uh, Then they get split into different groups, whereby, um, depending on what we're trying to get out of the individual uh, athlete, uh, it's a little bit different to if you were working in a, say, for example, a professional realm where you might get, you know, tight five together with back row, half five eights. Uh, and then outside backs as a group, uh, we don't group them necessarily like that. We might have the forwards focusing on uh, a bit more strength emphasis than the backs mm-hmm. at an, at, a, at a, any one time. Uh, and the backs might be working on a little bit more explosive um, activities. And we've got a third group in there as well, who we call the, uh, the engine room. Yep. Um, and basically what happens there is we try and get the engine room to the boys to celebrate the engine room. Uh, Whereby we see these individuals as the ones who, where the backs get the glory from it. So uh, what I mean by that is uh, we didn't do it so much this year, which you know I think we could have done better. And we're certainly we've done it the two previous years. Is um, one gripe that I have, and I know we sort of spoke about this, is if you work in a development program and you're labelling kids to be in a fat club Mm. or a fat group, then uh, as far as I'm concerned, it's not acceptable because it's not motivating or inspiring anyone. And teenage boys and all the rest of it have body issues and and things. And um, I just think by shaming individuals like that, you need to sort of have a little bit of a hard look at yourself and the environment that you work in. Uh, I don't actually do it with senior guys even, but at the same time, uh, what we do instead is it's called the engine room where – boys are actually these guys are celebrated because they're the ones who are busting their gut for the backs to get the glory and you know shift it out and score the tries etc and um so what we do at the beginning of the season then uh is more introduce the boys and celebrate that you know these guys are in the engine room and rather than doing two strength based sessions what they will do is they might do a strength based session earlier on in the week yeah um it's some of the other forwards but then Their second gym session will be a Metcon session. Um, Yeah, and we do it that way. So uh, the other thing is as well, you know, putting, saying that a a student is overweight or calling him fat and then getting expecting him to be inspired to sit on a bike to lose weight is (laughs) probably not not the best approach. No, it's not going to happen. uh, No, so what we do is, um, you know, the engine boy room, uh, the engine room, sorry, uh, the, the boys will be doing Metcon stuff. So we make it really specific and, you know, they're carrying things and, you know, getting themselves into a certain body positions and that way we get the best out of them and uh, the other boys also celebrate that too so it, it just really instills that cultural framework within the gym setting so earlier on in the so that's how that works um, and that goes for about say uh, if, if it's just a gym based session that'll go for a gym session will go for about 40 minutes excluding the 10 minute warm up and yep. I'll spend about 10 minutes stretching yep. uh, at the end is a team stretch and we try and encourage leaders to Lead that um, mm-hmm. earlier on in the season uh, and prior. So, when we're going through our trials, say, and uh, maybe just slightly into the season, the first one or two rounds, uh, the biggest thing that we learned was rather than getting the boys to come in on separate mornings and do conditioning, uh, what we do is we cut the gym sessions a little bit short. So, it might be the 10 minute warm up, they might do 30 to 40 uh, maximum minutes in the gym. Uh, And then we spend the last 20 minutes doing uh, energy system or conditioning based drills. So uh, we do a 30, 15 IFT test um, and that's to establish, you know, what group they're in. uh, And then we progress it accordingly. So it starts off linear conditioning, uh, a little bit lower intensity. And then we progress as a a, uh, season approaches to get the change at multiple changes of direction in there, too. So I know. If you look at the scientific literature and some people from an outsider's perspective would look at it and go, you're mad doing a gym session and then going out and doing running and conditioning-based stuff immediately straight after. Mm. Uh, but the challenge of it is, like I said to you, the, the best benefits that we've had is rather than bringing those boys in to do two conditioning sessions on a morning a week, they get to sleep in those two mornings. And yeah. what's better, they get recovery, they get sleep in, as opposed to you know, bringing them in for five mornings a week. And that's what I was referring to, that program of best fit. Yeah. Um, that's how we do that. So that's worked. That's probably been the best thing that we've kind of uh, implemented in the last two years. And then you just uh, manage the load problems. at the back end. Yeah, that's right. And then the, the positive to it too, another thing that people, you know, will question and things like that, people always talk about, oh, what do you do for hamstring injuries, this or that. Uh, and to be honest, when you're working in an environment like this, the, the students are very malleable in the fact that they they don't have the maturation that you will with you know an early 20s or late 20 year old rugby player um, with a history of hamstring strains and all the rest of it so if we get the boys moving better uh, you know and trying to target different things as well so we do try and target hamstring glutes and hip stability and all the rest of it but the boys are very resilient in what they can do and it's up to us to try and use our coaching eye to to roll the conditioning program out accordingly based on that so that's the overall scope of what a general session would look like.
2: Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah, and you, we, we spoke also. You've got a few um, contracted players in the group who are probably linked, linked with the Waratahs or with, with various academies, maybe NRC or something like that. How do you manage those guys in the, in the group um, with regards to their load?
1: Yeah, and that's a good point because of the fact that uh, at the end of the day, when you're working in a schooling environment, I think, uh, in the past, I don't think necessarily so much now, but in the past, I think people, you know, in, in professional outfits and stuff, probably thought that the schooling system was, was, you know, uh, yeah, it's just a school type scenario when it came to their athletic development. But uh, you know, as we've seen over the last five to ten years, a lot of the schools are, uh, you know, there's guys like myself in there um, who, you know, have an understanding of how to develop the, the qualities of an athlete and so how it works. To answer your question. Uh, the guys have been great using the Waratahs as an example. Um, Their under-20s guy, he's a fantastic guy, Aaron Scully, who uh, he has come out and introduced himself and just opened up that communication channel. Uh, mm-hmm. And the same thing happens with you know, the various other codes as well. Uh, and so how it works in Newington is there's actually what's called a talented uh, sporting program where students such as those guys who have been flagged by different um, you know, clubs and things like that um, they're part of this program, and uh, there's a director of, in, in the talent and sporting program who uh, he has a meeting with these students fortnightly, uh, where they sit down and discuss how they're coping with different with different things, and uh, he might flag it with a director of sport, saying of you know say for example the director of rugby, mm-hmm. um, and say you know this student's got a, a few few things going on at the moment, uh, and then the director of rugby and I will also communicate, and they'll just say look you know I'm happy for so-and-so to set, sit this session out um, in saying that in sitting the session out uh, it's got to be reinforced that they're still around the boys so uh, you know they might come in and they might just do a stretch session or something like that mm. I think where we've where we've come unstuck in the past is where in those instances where students have been you know told oh you, you don't have to train on this particular morning or whatever then uh, sometimes that just creates a little bit of disharmony in the group because people mm. think that they're being you know get given special treatment or um, a bit of favoritism or whatever uh, but for us we know that uh, to build a culture we need to try and get all the boys there so uh, that's how we monitor the load uh, of them the boys you know people ask me as far as what loading systems do you have in place to monitor it and all the rest of it uh, and like I said it's nothing uh, scientific in that mm. regard but it's very much we we've got to a stage now where we know what a, a big week is uh, and we also know what a, a, a sorry, kind of a smaller a, lesser volume or intensity based week is and the thing is we also know is that regardless of how much i periodize things as much as i like i can have it done to a T. but then something will come up there might be a drama performance there might be you know exams for year 10 one week exams for year 11 another uh etc A trial exam for year 12 guys whatever it is there's always something going on in a school like this mm. and as much as i like to you know i do periodize it i do sit down and you know, I try and have my targets we're trying to um, you know, develop or physical qualities we're trying to develop. Uh, there's always something that comes up that, that kind of interrupts that and it's how you respond to that. So, um, yeah, in regards to those players being monitored, it's more about the communication lines being open and it's also about the boys uh, taking ownership of it uh, rather than thinking us thinking that you know, they're, they're trying to cop out of doing something. It's certainly not that. It's more a matter of how they're managed holistically uh, and that's all facets of their life as well.
2: Yeah, and there's it's probably a big, big uh, relationship piece in there too between the strength coach and the athletes and the, the director of rugby and the athletes as well.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, and that's why, like I said before, um, uh, we've got a director of rugby here who's fantastic in, in keeping the communication lines open. And uh, if I flag something or he flags something, uh, it's never an egotistical thing of, mm. well, I want to do this and you need to do that. Um, I think that the biggest one of the biggest strengths in working in a schooling or a development program is that uh, it's not so cutthroat in the fact that uh, you know say for example the director of rugby is not worried about losing his house that his job's on the line as, yeah. as, a, as a professional coach would um, where you know at the end of the day he gets the final say and it's up to the um, you know the performance staff to kind of agree and then find a way of, of how they can um, go into kind of program of best fit model and uh, I just think that I'm blessed in that regards that any s coach who works in a development program, you're, you're in a fearless environment where you can experiment and also, uh, first and foremost, just have the student's best interest at heart uh, without you know, being fearful of failure. Yeah, great. All right,
2: so you've been there almost five years. There's got to, got to be some uh, pretty big learning points uh, in that time. What, what have some been, been some of those key areas?
1: Yeah, so I think I I touched on it before as far as uh, certainly trying to overload the boys and everyone trying to run their own show uh, has been a big learning experience. So Mm -hmm. uh, valuing, and I know it sounds like a soft option to uh, some people who might be listening, talking about sleep and all those sort of things. Uh, But for us, we've just found bang for buck, bang for buck, sorry, um, that that plays a a key role. Um, Another thing that we've kind of learned along the process uh, is the, the cultural thing, as I've mentioned, uh, plays a big role and it's up to us both in the gym and also out on the field to collaboratively work together and hold up those values um, and instill those in the boys. It, it, we can't be you know, tough as nails in the gym and getting up them for uniform things or whatever and then the coach is being relaxed on the field and then, or the boys coming to the gym and mucking around and then that translates onto the field. So mm. culturally, you know, we have to respect the process of that. Um, another thing that we've certainly uh, learned along the way is uh, just looking I know like we said about the specialization side of things it's it's more a matter of having the directors work together and and not in silos where they say well this is my time now and your time's going to come when when summer rolls around or when winter rolls around and that's part of the challenge in my role is that I've got to get these guys communicating together and Um, that's something that that we certainly have learned that um, you know all the directors need to put their egos to the side and and first and foremost it's about what's best for the students so um, that's one thing another thing that we've tried to learn or we have learned sorry not tried to learn is uh, and this is from a coaching perspective as well as uh, the SNC side of things is uh, this has to be reviewed every year and that uh, I think we had a lot of talent for a few years and uh, I think you know the coaches would, would acknowledge this as well in the fact that uh, you can't play the same style of footy that uh, you know you might be able to play with with certain cattle as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, formies and all the rest of it. And it's the same as the S and C side of things. You know, you can't get students doing certain things if you've got a, a group of fast, explosive guys one year that are you know running all over the park, and then the next year guys are slower and whatnot. It's, it's how you adapt uh our you know our programming accordingly and it's also how the coaches adapt their playing style accordingly so that would be a massive one um and yeah i think that like i said the engine room before is a big one because uh that's that's something that we've got you know culturally a really really strong vibe from in the past with, with that team cohesion and mm. um yeah that, that's something that like i said is imperative great all right
2: uh last question right. till we uh, go go to our final four questions what um so what advice would you give uh, coaches who are who are just kind of starting working with that uh, you know developing athletes um, in strength and conditioning? they may be like you said they, they might come from uh, uh, an elite background and have started working with them or they might be you know an ex player who's uh, you know used to doing X, y and Z in the weight room. Uh, what what would be some advice you'd give those coaches who are just,
1: just getting to know the development uh, kind of pathway? I think you, you have to respect the process. And mm. what I mean by that is uh, it's very easy for, a, a, you know, an ex-professional player to come into an environment and say, oh, and start throwing all the funky moves out and, you know, exercises and all the rest of it, uh, you know, which in due course and with respect, they've earned the right to do that over their career. but it's probably the last thing that they remember. Mm. So what I mean by that is um, they kind of block out what they learned through those development years and want to want to get into the program and say, well, we used to do this and let's get into this. And I think that's the, the biggest kind of uh, the setup for failure in that regard is you have to respect the process and respect the, the age group that you're working with. And mm. people always talk about it saying that they're not mini adults and they're not uh, because they, their bodies aren 't developed accordingly, so exactly. uh, my advice would be that uh, you need to you know as i said respect the process and regress things and get them to earn the right to progress things rather than going the the other way and and, and starting from the top and um, yeah and then, and then coming out with the the wrong desired results yeah and we were talking earlier before the interview about your work with the u20 eels um, rugby
2: league team uh, for for Non uh, Southern Hemisphere people, and that you, you've got guys in there still goblet squatting because they're, they're not ready for a, for a back squat.
1: Yeah, that's right. And uh, so that's an interesting point as well. Because as I, I mentioned before, you know, you have students in there who have just finished high school and uh, they may not have been in a, a fortunate environment where their lifting is a little bit limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and in comparison to guys who were there the year before who are very experienced and uh, we had this chat, it's funny you say that, because we had this chat uh, last night, and the the fact is that everyone has to be regressed to earn the right to move forward, so um, you're right, I get these guys doing goblet squats and everything, and the reality it is that they're young enough because of the fact that at the moment they're doing a lot more running, and uh, I don't want to get them in that environment where they're going, well, uh, you know, I want to back squat, I want to lift as heavy as I can, and why are we lifting lighter weights and things, when you know, the first session they weren't able to get into a deep squat position and um, just try and open their hips up. So why am I going to overload you doing a back squat and then all of a sudden I'm going to get you out on the field and get you, you know, putting the kilometres in your legs and next thing you're talking about your back's tight, you've got a sore back and you know <laughs> then there's hamstring issues and all the rest mm. of it. So it's one of those things where I think as S&C coaches we're very, uh, you know, we like to get things done a particular way, but I think part of being the best coach that you can be is providing that education to the players and explaining why they're doing it and saying, you know, do you want to be 5% stronger than you were last year or do you want to be 20% stronger than last year because of the fact that, you know, you're able to get yourself into certain positions and you're able to tolerate more load because you've developed those foundations and being competitive as they are. uh, Athletes are certainly in that realm where they just want to continue to fire, 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 fire. Um, you know, working on, on all systems, and um, it's it's up to the S and C guys to try and pull them back and, and get them firing when they need to get them firing. Rather than uh, I always cringe when someone says, oh yeah, they just need to be flogged, so just flog them. And I go, well, maybe they don't maybe they don't need to be flogged <laughs> maybe they today. Need maybe, the they, opposite. maybe it needs maybe it needs to be a fun day where they do a little <laughs> bit of game based conditioning because yeah. tomorrow they're going to get belted. Yeah. So, but you can't, you know, you, you can't flog everyone day in, day out and expect the same results. So, uh, it's a matter of how you communicate that with the coaches and so forth. Yeah, great. All right.
2: Well, we always end this, the show with the same final four questions. Um, when, we, when you were a kid growing up, um, who was your favorite rugby player or, or favorite athlete um, that, that, you know, really drew you to, to a sport?
1: Um, drew me to a sport. Well, given that it's rugby, I'll keep it rugby specific. Sweet. Um, yeah. With all due respects, mate, uh, Jerry Collins and oh, you know no, I'm Australian, yeah, but uh mate, I, you know, to be honest, I, I wasn't a competitive rugby player when I was younger. But mm. every time I used to watch, I just used to think this is a guy that I'd love to have by my side because oh, yeah. was rock solid and he was always there. And um, yeah, mate, I, 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 I love watching the All Blacks play. Don't tell anyone that, but uh <laughs> mate, he was my just uh, yeah, mate, I just. Yeah, he, uh, he was something, man. That I just mate, he's rock solid. Uh, he was
2: unreal. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, one of one of the one of the best going around for sure. He was. Um, yeah, all right. Well, definitely, we'll give you that one for sure. Um, all right. What about now? Uh, you keep an eye on rugby now. Um, who are some of the the favourite players going around now that you that you like watching play?
1: Uh, at the moment, I to be honest, one of the favorite guys I like is david Pocock. yeah absolutely. Uh, the reason the reason for that is I've seen the guy train in the gym and uh, <laughs> he has got a relentless work ethic, and not only that, I think uh, I don't know the guy personally, so um but you know, you always hear and read things, and I just think that he would be the type of character who he's he's not afraid to. Uh, he's a person of very good character, and he's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. And yeah. I think that's I think that's important for any athlete. Yep. Uh, and I, and I love building character in the younger guys. And I just think for someone to have that relentless work ethic and and be not afraid to to stand up, I, I think that that's you know that gets my vote for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's spot on for sure. Um,
2: all right. What about uh, what about coaches? Who's a high profile coach? Doesn't need to be rugby, but a high profile coach that you admire, what they're doing.
1: Yeah, I've met a lot of great coaches, mate. I don't think I'd be able to single one out, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I I just think the best coaches are the ones who, uh, you know, they may not necessarily be the most technically gifted, yep. but if you can get a group of blokes together who can believe in each other and stand tall side by side and and really get the outcomes based on that, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that comes from a personal approach. So I know that coaching yeah. is going down that role now where, a lot of guys are trying to get a bit more family oriented and all the rest of it, and uh, there's a lot of coaches to name out there who are doing that, and and I just think that that's why they're excelling and they're doing a fantastic job of it in in a variety of different sports, not just rugby alone.
2: Yeah, for sure. Okay, and last question: Who's who's a coach in the uh, in the trenches? Who's digging away? Um, who who doesn't have a profile but deserves uh, recognition?
1: Yeah, mate, I I thought about this one uh, for you because I knew it was going to be asked. And to be honest, I I think it's only a fair response in that um, I've got guys who work with me and I'd like to give them a shout out. Uh, Glenn Glenn Pilcher, who actually rolls out the rugby program with me because uh, he has far more football brain than what I do. And he's the one who I get up my silly ideas. Um, Matthew (laughs) Sage, Sean Law, uh, James Walsh, Uh, and another fella Sam Martin as well so these guys are all part of my team and I know uh, that our program wouldn't be as strong uh, without these gentlemen and and coaches who've been here for the last you know three to four years so um, I have to give a shout out for them mate because yeah they're they're very honorable human beings.
2: Awesome that's great and uh, you know no doubt the boys are lucky to have have them around uh, coaching them and helping them. Uh, be the best rugby players they can be so that that's that's an awesome environment that I've got and um, sounds like you love your work and uh, you know it's been, been great having you on the show so I really appreciate you taking some time out of your, your busy schedule to to have a chat with me
1: Thanks very much mate I, I appreciate the time and you know I love all the work that you're doing on the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast it's awesome you've had a lot of special guests on here and some big names as well and I know it takes a lot of work for guys like you to do this for, for very little reward and I just wanted to say thanks, mate, because it's how, it's guys like you who progress different industries. So cheers for having me on. Appreciate that. Thanks, Nathan. All right.
2: Cheers, mate.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at rugbycoachscnr or via the website at therugbycoachescorner.com Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better. enjoyed the show please leave a review via itunes and keep listening for the next episode you can also follow us on twitter at rugbycoachscnr or via the website at therugbycoachescorner.com. until next time keep sharing ideas to make the game better